Hello, Lions of Liberty fans. And you know, one great way to start out your day is with a shot of whiskey. But if you're not an alcoholic, the next best way to start your day is with an amazing cup of coffee. And now you can order coffee, delicious coffee, and also support the Lions of Liberty. We have partnered with Anarcho Coffee to create our own brand of coffee known as the Morning Roar. And let me tell you, this coffee is delicious. I am saying that as someone who just drank two cups of it before I recorded this pre-roll. So I can tell you, I'm a little hyped up, and I just had some delicious coffee. And I'd like you to be able to start your day the same way. So I want you to head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You get a 10% discount with your very first order. And if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or more per month, which you can do over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you will then get a permanent 15% discount on all future orders. And you're going to want future orders after you try this, let me tell you. But first, give it a shot. Head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and start your day with a morning roar. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. my fellow liberty lovers and liberty will never die as long as you continue listening to this flagship lions of liberty podcast every single monday here on the lions of liberty podcast feed where i deliver you interviews with leaders in the liberty movement like you're going to hear today as well as debates i host some debates like i did back in episode 400 that amazing debate we had about the very spicy and saucy subject of abortion as well as fun sometimes lubricated with alcohol, roundtable discussions when we do our Libertarians in Living Rooms drinking liquor segments. And what more could you really ask for? Well, guess what? You can ask for more because we bring you even more. We bring you three shows every single week. Besides my flagship show here on Mondays, you have Brian McWilliams smacking you upside the head with his weekly dose of comedy, culture, liberty, a little bit of hungoverness, and some mispronunciations on Electric Liberty Land, as well as John Odermatt's hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system every single Friday on Felony Friday. You get all this for an amazing price. That price is free. All you got to do is hit subscribe on the Lions of Liberty podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, uh, Stitcher Radio. I'm a big fan of Overcast myself. You can even holler at your Alexa. Alexa, play me Lions of Liberty on TuneIn Radio, or you can listen on Spotify as well. We even toss everything up on YouTube for your convenience. And if all of that is not enough to satisfy your needs, and you really want to support this show, you can join the Lions of Liberty Pride. That is our group of supporters who support us through Patreon. You can find more information about that over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's a pretty crazy month coming up. We're going to Porkfest. Uh, we're going to be doing some bonus podcasts there. Everything I record at Porkfest whether it's one-on-one interviews, random podcasts we do on the fly, I'll be uploading right to that Lions of Liberty Pride podcast feed. So it's definitely a great time to join the Pride. Another great reason to join the Pride is, as you know, the Democratic debates are starting later this month, and we here at Lions of Liberty will be doing instant recaps, instant reaction shows to every single one of those debates. Those will be available to the Lions of Liberty Pride, as well as on the on the regular feed uh, eventually, probably the next day. But the Pride will get them live and that night. And we actually just introduced a new Pride level for only 
only $2 per month, you can now join the Lions of Liberty Pride. It's sort of an entry level. We're calling it the Lions-Cubs level. And for this, you don't get access to all the bonus audio and video content that we do uh, in the Patreon feed. But what you do get is you get to join our secret Facebook group as well as our private Pride Discord channel. And we'll be live streaming all of our Democratic debate recap shows directly to that secret Pride Facebook group. So if you really just want to kind of dip your toe in the water, see what you kind of get, see what kind of interaction you get. You also get to see us uh, post about and talk about a lot of things we don't necessarily do in the regular Lions of Liberty forum. We get a little more personal, a little more real in the Lions of Liberty Pride secret Facebook group. So again, if you just want to dip your toe in the water for a couple bucks a month, help support the show, help us get to Porkfest, help us buy some extra gas, help us fund everything that we're doing here with our, our mobile equipment that we need to do shows on the road and that sort of thing. If you just want to chip in two bucks a month, you can sort of dip your toe in the water a little bit and get to see our debate reaction shows live as we do them. So please do check out our Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. But enough about us. Let's get to today's guest. All right, with me today is the president of Young Americans for Liberty, a youth organization dedicated to advancing liberty, both on the college campus as well as electorally. Very pleased to welcome, for the very first time, Mr. Cliff Maloney. Cliff, are you ready to roar? I am. Thanks for having me today. Of course, man. And, you know, we'll get more into the work you're doing at Young Americans for Liberty in a minute. But first, I got to learn a little more about Cliff Maloney. So why don't you start off just telling us a little bit about your journey to the ideas of liberty? How did you first take an interest in politics and what led you into this weird realm of libertarian politics? Yeah, so the ideas of liberty, you know, it's funny. Back in college, I'm 28 years old as of recently. And when I was in college in 2010, I found this Ron Paul YouTube video and uh, it ruined my life. Uh, <laughs> it has kind of uh, sent me down this uh, YouTube black hole of understanding and kind of hearing this consistent message of libertarianism. And uh, it was then that I started to read. One of the videos had a reading list at the end. And so I started to really dive in and try to understand why weren't more people uh, talking like this man, uh, you know, Ron Paul from Texas. I mean, why were, why were these ideas so not mainstream? And so I decided then and there, you know, I wanted to get involved. I wanted to figure out a way to reach normal people with these ideas because uh, I never thought of myself as political. I just thought of myself. I grew up in Philadelphia. I uh, just thought, uh, thought of myself as a normal average American and uh, was trying to figure out why other people weren't woke, if you will, to these ideas. And so that was the start of it. I got involved uh, with uh, – an internship with Ron Paul back in 2011 on Capitol Hill. They said I was one of the most uh, normal libertarians they'd ever met. <laughs> so I did that in 11 and then uh, ended up in Iowa. I think that's a compliment. I, I took it as one. I was confused, <laughs> but uh, it got me the job. I've met a lot of libertarians. I think it is. <laughs> and then in 2012, was out in uh, Iowa for the uh, uh, you know Iowa caucuses for Ron Paul. Uh, ended up getting involved with Young Americans for Liberty shortly after. And uh, became the Pennsylvania state chair and then the regional director. And I spent about a year as uh, Rand Paul's national youth director. And the second the campaign ended in 2016, I took over as the CEO of Young Americans for Liberty. So um, it's been a crazy ride. But, uh, you know, the tagline here is to make liberty win. I am hellbent on trying to figure out how we take these principles and how we go mainstream. 
All right, and we'll we'll dig in, into that a little bit more. But first, I want to dig into to kind of your your background just a little bit more there, because you did mention that Ron Paul video, and I'm curious. Before you saw that video, what were your politics like? You know, growing up, or you know, you said you weren't very political, but did you have any sort of base of political ideas going into that, or did you just sort of stumble on it, upon it out of nowhere? Yeah, so I grew up uh, with my mom being kind of a Christian conservative. My dad was from like a blue collar union family, Democrats, um, and so. I would probably call them apathetic, uh, you know, normal folks. They cared about putting food on the table. Uh, right. My dad's a, you know, does manual labor. My mom works at a local school. I mean, they weren't uh, taking the time to read and really understand some of the deep philosophical issues. And so I didn't really grow up with uh, any type of political push or background. It was, uh, it was pretty simple. But, you know, watching that first video of uh, Ron kind of lecturing Rudy Giuliani on blowback, um, that really, that's the one that's the one that got, got us all. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, it made me put the pieces together. Uh, nobody had ever talked about those things. So I grew up pretty apathetic. Uh, when I went to school, I had to teach math. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't go to school with any type of, uh, interest in, in the political world. And I, I jokingly say that I get to teach math every day. I mean, I feel like we're the only ones here in DC that talk about deficits and spending. So it's, uh, it's been a crazy ride, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to teach. I wanted to connect with people, and I realized very quickly that trying to teach and change education system from within was not going to be as impactful as getting out and really reaching people uh, in a way that I thought would be more activism-driven, and that's that's kind of what led me to YAL. What, uh, in terms of your own sort of political ideology that obviously developed more once you watched that Ron Paul video and obviously I'm sure went down the many rabbit holes, holes we all go down when we first learned about these ideas, coming out of that, what are the issues that you now find yourself the most passionate about? I still think war is my number one issue. Uh, my wife happens to be in the Air Force. She's a active duty in the Air Force at the moment, so I'm, um, I guess, even more uh, bought in to the anti-war message. Um, but I think war is, is one of those issues that, I mean, it's a serious thing. People die, and the true belief in peace, the idea that, that, that human beings can interact together, I still think that is the foundational issue when it comes to the principles of liberty. I would say the next thing in my line, you know, you can go down the Bill of Rights, but I think what really gets me uh, Jones in these days is privacy. Um, I think there's something to be said about an individual not having the fear of government uh, knowing the intimate decisions in their life. Um, so I think foreign policy, privacy, I mean, obviously the right to self-defense matters because if you can't defend yourself, you can't defend your rights. And I wouldn't have said this two years ago, but free speech. Uh, free speech to me, I think, is something that the liberty movement needs to adopt more uh, wholeheartedly. Um, we as an organization have taken this on, and, and myself, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of interesting, I, I had a piece in time a couple of years ago, and if you would have told me in 2015, hey, you know, the big issue for you guys is going to be free speech, I would have thought you were nuts. But there is kind of this systemic push to silence people that we see, whether it's on platforms or on college campuses. So to me, the civil liberties are a big one, foreign policy uh, and I got a lump in kind of the First and Second Amendment. You got to have the ability to speak and you got to have the ability to defend yourself. Well, sure. I mean, you need the Second Amendment to you know defend our, our physical bodies, but you need the First Amendment and you need free speech so we can defend our ideas. Uh, I'm kind of curious what specifically 
made you take that turn where you see that as more of an issue? Was it more that before you just didn't think it was an issue because we all presume we have free speech. We live in America. It's the First Amendment. Why even worry about it? Uh, and only maybe, maybe seeing some events unfold that led you to think, well, maybe we can't just take this for granted so much. Yeah, so as I took over Young Americans for Liberty in 2016, I had kind of from the outside thought, okay, you know, free speech is becoming more of an issue, but, you know, is it really, is it really that much of a problem? And what I came to find is that I would see incident after incident where the administration would come out and either shut down our students or shut down the speaker or try to dictate what we could say, what we couldn't say. And these are public taxpayer funded schools. And so as these predicaments became a pattern, um, and as it, as it became obvious to me that it was more systemic than I thought, it kind of made me double down on it. And it's, be, you know, it's made me become more passionate. And by the way, I completely am excited about ending the Federal Reserve. I'm completely excited about trying to cut government spending and attacking the $22 trillion debt. I'd argue that's our biggest threat. But when you ask me the question and, and, and you, know, you say things I'm most passionate about, I'm always trying to find the things that I think are going to be good bridges to get other people involved. I have kind of found like if you said which issues will impact millennials the most or, or even the younger ages, you could probably argue for Social Security being one where there's no way they're going to see it. But do young people care about Social Security? No. And so I'm kind of I'm kind of jaded. And then I'm always trying to find issues that not necessarily I'm just passionate about, but issues that I think other young people are going to be passionate about. And issues that libertarians can use to reach out and be able to connect and build those coalitions to get people in the fold. Yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of you you might have a list of political priorities that you think are, you know, the most likely to affect certain people. But then you look around and, and you see a lot of events unfolding around us and you say, well, no, this is actually a bigger priority. And not only that, free speech is something that in many ways, or at least it should be, it should be devoid of, of political ideology, really, because no matter what your political ideology is, you need that freedom of speech in order to express it, in order to even convince anyone that your ideas are correct in the first place. So and I guess that's probably why they made it the First Amendment, because because without that, you know, where do we even go in terms of trying to you know change people's minds, advance our political ideas and that sort of thing? Yeah. And I'll tell you this. So one of the, the lines I use that I get in trouble with is I say, look, I don't want an advantage for libertarian ideas on campus. All I want is a level playing field, because I truly believe in the free marketplace of ideas. If people can hear all ideologies, if they can hear all backgrounds and all the solutions that we're all putting forward for the country, I genuinely think that they'll choose liberty. I think that they'll come our way. And so what I have found is a lot of the times the people that are disagreeing with us, they're not disagreeing with us because they're putting up better arguments if people are winning. They're trying to silence us. And I mean, yeah, that's the thing about free speech. It should be a a cross the board uh, supported issue. But I think people have realized it's easier to weaponize speech and to shut down those that disagree with you because then you're guaranteed. You don't, you don't even have the option to support our ideas. So I think it is. Uh, we need that level playing field, and we should never fall to the tactics of the left. I, I've had a problem with this. There's some people on the right um, that you know, think, well, the left does it. We have to match them. That's bullshit. Uh, you know, we, we need to make sure we're defending everybody's right to speak. But guess what? When it comes time to, to have your turn – You better be ready to win the hearts and minds of the audience. Hey, friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. 
It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I gotta tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. Do you think there's any line, not in terms of the legality of speech, but when actually applying the idea to college campuses, uh, obviously it's easiest for, for us to say, of course, libertarian ideas should be allowed. We're just advocating peace and uh, you know mutual cooperation, but uh, should college campuses say have to pay, and I think this is a lot of th- the times what administrations will use as, as the reason to shut down certain speakers, they'll say, this person is so controversial that we can't even provide you know the physical security. It will actually cause a danger to people on our campus and that sort of thing. I, like, I mean, do you think that someone who's out there advocating genocide or you know literal Nazi ideas, not how they use Nazi now, uh, should also be allowed these same exact platforms? I mean, is there any point where you are sort of colleges could be offering so much free speech that they can't even devote resources to say actual education and that sort of thing because they're spending all their time maybe you know paying for security for controversial speakers no (laughs) good and succinct answer (laughs) yes so here's my problem with a lot of the security fees What, what happens is they're used against or they're used as an excuse for the university so my argument is this. If somebody wants to come to campus and a group wants to endorse bringing them to campus to hear their ideas, however radical they are, if they're following the same process that somebody else has to follow, whether it's arbitrary or not, as long as it's fair across the board for organizations to bring somebody to campus, then they should be allowed to come to campus and speak. Now, one of the best arguments I ever hear for, for free speech is this. Look, I don't want to shut someone down. I'd rather hear all ideas. So when the crazy sons of bitches say something, we can point them out and say, holy cow, that guy is insane. He's radical. He's abhorrent. He's sexist. He's misogynistic. Legitimately, not how they use it today where everyone is these horrible things. But if somebody is going to give someone rights based on their ethnicity or their race or say horrible things, I want to know who they are. So I can say, look, I heard you. I disagree with you, and I'm not going to give you the time of day now. And so I don't think there is a limit uh, in terms of what should be allowed on campus. I think there should be equal opportunity across the board, and if people meet that threshold, they should be allowed to speak. Um, But we need to defend the right vigorously of those people that we disagree with because at any point, you know, we could be seen as radical. You might even call us that today. Yeah, I don't think I have to ask your opinion on this one because I think I actually saw you posting a selfie. You guys were involved in, I believe, Trump's executive order. I don't know the exact wording, but I think the general idea is that they will potentially remove funding from college campuses that do not allow free speech, as you're describing. Yeah, so here's the thing. You actually would probably be surprised by my answer. So uh, Young Americans probably got invited to go to the White House. Um, They said there was going to be an event highlighting the epidemic of free speech on college campuses. They had 10 students on the stage, or maybe maybe 12. Three of them were YL students. We had about 15 students in the audience. 
So do I think that we need to take executive action uh, when it comes to campus free speech? The answer is no. I don't necessarily believe an executive order is the best way to do it. Do I think highlighting that there's an epidemic on college campuses is an effective way or that we need to be talking about these things? Yes. And so that's why Young Americans for Liberty decided to go. We decided to go to the event as an opportunity to highlight that, look, we're getting the shit kicked out of us. Our students are not able to speak freely. And so a lot of people, you know, jump, well, are you guys supporting the executive order? Well, that's not what I was there to do. I'm there to say that this is an epidemic. I thank and I appreciate that the president of the United States brought forward this as an issue um, because I do. I think it is something we have to shine a light on. So would your issue be more just the the method then of, of using executive orders to get anything done, regardless if it is, you know, something that you might otherwise like the result of? Yes, 100%. Uh, let's dig in a little bit more into uh, YAL itself. Uh, even prior to your involvement, when when did this organization get founded and what what is this original mission? I know now you guys do a lot of electoral work, but I believe when it was first founded, it was more of a, a sort of a strictly campus-based organization. But you can obviously speak on that a little better than I could. Yeah, sure. So uh, Students for Ron Paul was started back in 2007 for the 08 campaign. It's a gentleman named Jeff Frazee from Katy, Texas. He was a huge Ron Paul supporter. And he started popping up campus groups in his volunteer time. And so eventually the campaign said, hey, why don't, why don't you do this for us full time? You know, you're, you're, you're really, really getting a lot of grassroots started. And we're seeing a lot of youth support for a 70-something-year-old guy out of Texas who's a Republican. Very rare. And so Jeff started this, uh, Students for Ron Paul, and then he was in an official capacity with the campaign. After the campaign, him and Ron got together and said, look, there's a lot of support out there for these libertarian ideas, especially amongst young people. And so Jeff decided with Ron's uh, support that they would start a 501c4 organization called Young Americans for Liberty. The idea was to build on campus, educate as many students as we could, train them on how to be effective, and then mobilize them. And back then as a 501c4, yeah, we would do certain campaigns. Um, We were involved with Rand Paul's race back in 2010. And, uh, you know, Justin Amash's races. And so we were doing a lot of stuff at the federal level. I'll jump forward now about eight years. So we've existed. After 2011, we, we moved to a model of just focusing on campus activism and education. And so we have grown and grown and grown in terms of chapters, in terms of members. This past year, when I took over in 2016, 2017 was my first big year. And I kind of did this look around the room and I said, look, There's got to be a way for us to take this youth army we're building and be more effective out in the community. If we want to really create impact and we want to make Liberty win, the tagline of the organization, I want to figure out how we can best do that. And so if if you're okay with that, I'd love to dive in and kind of talk about. um, By the way. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2018, we launched a program called Operation Win at the Door. And the reason this came about is I sat my team down and I said, okay, guys, You know, we've got chapters across the country. We've got activists excited about these ideas. What can we do with this youth army? And we said, all right, well, if we send mail or if we do digital ads or TV or radio, what's, why would we do that? Anybody with a million bucks can do that, right? There's no advantage for you. But we have people, we have young people that are passionate about the ideas. And so if we have these young people that are passionate, we said, all right, then we should knock doors because that's going to be an advantage we have on other people. Once we decided on the tactic, then we had to decide, okay, so we're calling this operation win at the door. 
Are we going to focus in on school board races, city council, state house, state senate, congressional, U.S. Senate, maybe governor's races or even president? And so then we said, all right, well, maybe we do a bunch of all, you know, all the above or we pick a level and we focus in. And so we did an impact analysis of what would it mean if someone got elected to state house? What would it mean if somebody got elected to school board, Congress, Senate, president? And then we said, okay, how many doors would we have to knock in that race based on the projected voter universe to move the needle 10 points? And then it's a real simple math equation. I went to school to teach middle school math. So to me, at that point, all it is is what is it going to cost you based on the impact you're going to create? And when we did this, the state house, I mean, it was like jumping off the page, like focus on state legislative races. So then I said, okay, if we focus on state legislative races and we knock doors, what are we going to achieve? Like, what, what are the other benefits? And so we said, all right, well, if we win, we'll have an, a bench of candidates that can run for federal office, liberty candidates. We'll have people that have a platform. We're no longer on the sidelines and relegated to the fringes. We're now, we're there. We can vote. We've got a microphone. And the third thing is you can kill bad bills and you can pass liberty bills. So the actual legislative process at the state, which states are where the federal government gets most of their ideas, bad and good. So the idea was, all right, let's do this. Let's test it out. 2018, we did 76 races. We had over 309 people knock doors for more than 30 days. We knocked a little under 1.1 million doors. And out of the 76 races that we did, we elected 37 candidates. Now we just want to get numbers. I'm excited by it. We just won a special election uh, last month in South Carolina, a guy named Stuart Jones. Um, I'm proud of the work that these folks are doing. It's pretty cool. We've passed constitutional carry in Kentucky and in Oklahoma. Uh, we passed uh, campus free speech bills. So it's, it's unique to see these people. And now we're trying to hold them accountable and we're trying to work with them to pass Liberty bills. Um, but to me, it's, it's an exciting time. We've, we've done the pilot program. It's worked. And now I'm trying to scale to do 250 wins by the end of 2022. That, to me, is real impact across the country for liberty. I'm curious what your litmus test is or if you even have a specific litmus test in terms of how you determine you know, what sort of candidates you're going to go out there and back and actually send out enthusiastic young libertarians to knock on doors and talk about people for. Obviously, I know you have a questionnaire you send out, but what, what are some of the, I guess, the, the boxes you look to check to actually put your support behind a candidate? So that's a great question. So we have about a 30-question survey that every candidate has to fill out. We have two specific thresholds we're looking for. The first is that they're principled on the ideas of liberty. The second is that they're viable. Now, listen, there are tons of viable candidates out there. They're not worth a lick when it comes to principle. There's tons of principle candidates out there, good people that are fully aligned with us. They're going to get 5, 10, excuse me, maybe 15% of the vote. We can't do enough to get them over the finish line. The nice thing for me is, when you focus at the state level, it's not federal. There's not 435 races. There are 5,000, and that just includes state house. That doesn't even include state senate. So if there are 5,000 seats across the country, I can be picky. I can focus in. So we try to find people, based on our survey, that have a viable chance at winning, which is not easy to, to, to find. I mean, you have to look at fundraising, polling, and at the state level, those things are not always easy to find. But we had over 400 people 
apply for our endorsement in 2018, and we only endorsed 76. But I'll tell you, when it comes to the principal, you know, there are things that are very simple. Will you vote to raise taxes? No. Okay, great. Um, do you believe in civil liberties? You know, well, let's go down the list. You know, do you believe in the right to self-defense? There's different tiers in each state, and each state is at different points in their legislative process. But what I have to tell people is we cannot question them on all 350 legislative issues that come up. But what we will do is if somebody takes a vote directly against their survey once they get elected, we're happy to come out and we're happy to, to, to publicly uh, condemn them for that. We're happy to support an opponent for them. You beat me to my next question. That's exactly what I, I was kind of thinking. I mean, you can you can send out a survey, you can do a, an amount of research, determine viability and those sorts of things. But then, what happens afterwards? You know, it, is there a specific example you can actually give me that, that of somebody that kind of went a different direction after you guys had helped them or endorsed them? It's been interesting because there are different ways to hold people accountable. I'll I'll share how we're doing it and then steps we've taken. So, we have something called the Hazlitt Policy Center. Um, it's a it's a, a branch of Young Americans for Liberty. Um, that has its, uh, its job is stated to hold our elected officials accountable and then to help pass pro-liberty legislation. So they work with the 38 individuals we've got elected, plus about 30 folks around the country that we didn't get elected, but that are liberty legislators, right? So we're, we're trying to kind of build this coalition. And so they have two meetings a year to teach the legislators how to be effective, to teach them how to not sell out, to teach them how to kind of look for the tricks of the establishment and to let them mentor each other and work with each other and give them support. If somebody votes badly, you know, usually the first thing we'll do is we try to get to them before the vote, try to understand what they're thinking, why they're thinking it, why they're being either co-opted or persuaded to vote against Liberty. Um, but what, what we found is I've been very, very proud of our track record so far. Uh, we had an individual up in Vermont, uh, Patrick Seymour, who we had endorsed, young guy. And, uh, you know, we were pushing him. He was voting fantastically. And then last week, uh, he voted for this huge tax hike. And so we we're going to be removing him from our Hazlitt Policy Coalition with the idea of, look, we can only go so far to push folks. I mean, these are supposed to be our champions. So, of course, uh, we want to support them. We want to provide resources. But at the end of the day, like voting for something as simple as a tax hike, you know, maybe if you told me, well, I voted against the tax cut because it was cronyism or maybe there's some line there. But sure. voting directly for a tax hike, uh, it's just, look, you, we want people that are disruptors, people that think the entire role of government needs to be flipped on its head and they're willing to lead on that. And so in those types of situations, we're not only willing to kick them out of our policy coalition, but I'm willing to go up there, find an opponent and try to run against them. And look, we might not win. But the reality is you have got to be willing to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to holding elected officials accountable. I love to hear that. So it's not like you just go out and support someone, help them get somewhere, and then cut the cord and say, all right, moving on. You actually have uh, accountability afterwards to the point that you'll even try to remove them from office if, if they get, kind of go against the, the, the ideals which you endorse them on. Yeah, and uh, look, I mean, some people, you know, it's, uh, it's just the harsh truth. you got to hold politicians accountable. I'm not looking to make examples of anybody, but the reality is, what are we fighting for? We're fighting for liberty. We're fighting to advance these ideas. And if I'm trying to elect champions, that, like I said, are supposed to be disruptors. They're supposed to be people that have a fundamental difference in what the role of government is. Um, I don't have time for the milk toast bullshit. Uh, it's time to make liberty win. You got to be willing to have a backbone and stand up for our ideals. 
I imagine when you're looking at viability and looking at which races it makes sense to get behind where you can make that difference, um, most of those, perhaps almost all of them, are going to be most likely Republicans because, you know, you really don't see these ideas in the Democratic Party too often. And then, you know, are, are there cases where you're able to actually look at a third party candidate, like a libertarian candidate with the actual L next to their name and say, OK, even though maybe your shot is obviously longer than a Republican, we can still reach out. We can actually still help you and, and you know, make you one of the people we endorse. How, how do you kind of balance that that sort of a, a judgment of who you can actually help where you might even have a slightly more principled candidate in, in, a, in a libertarian against a Republican who's maybe, maybe pretty good, you know? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. So a lot of people ask me that all the time. I mean, look, I said in the beginning that our, our threshold is they have to be principled, they have to be viable. I have no interest in political party. Uh, people will get mad at me for that. Republicans think I'm too libertarian. Libertarians think I'm too Republican. At the end of the day, I don't care if somebody's running as a Democrat, a Green, a Libertarian, a Republican, a Constitutionalist, an Independent. Who cares? What I care about is using resources to actually get elected, because I think that the libertarian ideals really can be advanced when somebody has the ability to vote, to speak, to craft legislation. Now, that's a personal opinion. There are, and and I would actually give credit, there are people like Larry Sharp in New York. I think Larry Sharp, when Larry ran, he ran to win. Don't get me wrong. But I think Larry understood that even if he didn't win, he was trying to do something. He was trying to go out and cultivate and bring people to the ideas and to try to recruit others. And if somebody can be honest about what they're doing, if somebody can come out and say, hey, look, my goal might not be to win, I can respect that. What I can't stand are when we talk to candidates, they, they come to us for an endorsement. If you're a libertarian, take a step back, put yourself in my shoes. Okay, We're, We run about a $6 million operation a year, and I've got to make decisions based on who we endorse and who we don't endorse. You come to me, And here are the scenarios, okay? You come to me and you're a Democrat in a Democrat plus 20 district, meaning whoever wins the Democrat nomination will win. And the Democrat says to me, hey, Cliff, I believe in libertarian principles. I'm running in the Democrat primary. Here's everything on my questionnaire. Uh, I'm a huge supporter of Milton Friedman, Murray Rothbard. Uh, I love Hayek and I've read Economics in One Lesson. Support me in my primary. I listen to Lions of Liberty. I, I'm, I'm right. the best libertarian possible. Exactly. So they come to us and they've raised, you know, $80,000 and they're trying to get an endorsement. Take option two. Okay, I'm going to give you three options. Option two is a Republican comes to me in a Republican plus 20 district. Same exact thing. They've raised $80,000. They love the ideas of libertarianism. They're totally bought into the philosophy. They believe in the non-aggression principle. Don't hurt people. Don't take their shit. They love Matt Kibbe. They love Lions of Liberty. Boom. They say, I'm running in a Republican primary. If I win the Republican primary, I win the whole race. That's option two. Option three is I have a Libertarian Party candidate that comes to us. They threaten me and say, how are you not going to endorse me? I'm a Libertarian candidate in the race. And then they say, you know what? When I ask them how much money they've raised, they say, well, money shouldn't be in politics. And I say, well, sincerely, how much money have you raised? They say, well, we haven't even opened the bank account yet, but we're going to raise a million dollars. I'm not trying to say that that's every situation, but I mean, I got to call a spade a spade. It's bullshit. Figure out how to win. If that means that you have to go run as an independent, a libertarian, a Republican, a Democrat, I don't care. But figure out what your community will support. Figure out a path to victory. 
and then go do it. Now, listen, if you have a six-year path to run as a libertarian and you're going to increase registration the first year and then you're going to raise a bunch of money the second year, the second uh, uh, cycle, and then the third cycle, you think you're going to have the viability? I'm all ears, but I don't see that, Mark. People don't come to me with that. And so I always say I have blinders on for party. In 2018, the reality was we endorsed 76 candidates. Three of them were Libertarian Party candidates. I was told by the party and by other folks, these are the top three most viable LP state legislative candidates. Laura Ebke, Brandon Finney, and Caleb Dyer. They all had switched from Republicans to Libertarians. We endorsed all three of them. All three of them lost. I don't regret it for a second. But what I will tell you is from my shoes, and I always say this to people legitimately, and I mean this authentically, I've got to make budgetary decisions based on where to put our resources to actually make Liberty win. And so when people come to me, I care about if they can win and if they're principled. I don't even look at political party, period. Why do you think that those three candidates all lost their race? Those are three candidates that uh, we all interviewed here at Lions of Liberty. We were all excited about uh, a lot of their prospects, but uh, it just seems that there is a point where no matter how great your ideas are, if you switch from that L, there's such a large portion of the population that just goes down the line, R or D, that you know, you've know you cut your own knees off, um, You know, just I guess, to despite your previous success of actually working within that that party that got you elected in the first place, um, you know, do, do you think that there is any way that third parties in this kind of condition, that Libertarian Party or what, what have you, independents even, can break through this this mentality that unless you have that R or the D, you know, there's no point in even looking at you in the first place. So you said something, and I want to really hone in on it. You said even if you have a great message, mm-hmm. here's the problem, Mark. What if no one hears your message? Right. This is this is the problem I have. And then I'm talking big races. If we're talking small races, you have a math problem when you are not running as an R or a D in a, in a toss-up district. And you have a math problem running as an R in a D district and running as a D in an R district, let alone an L or an independent. There's a problem. There's a problem with the math. Okay, So one of the things that we teach at YL in our trainings is understand that history will repeat itself. Okay. When people show up to vote in a general election in the most standard of districts, 4% of people are, excuse me, if there are 10 people voting, four people are going to vote R, four people are going to vote D. It doesn't matter if Hitler or Stalin are on the ballot, they're going to vote R or D. Okay, four are voting R, four are voting D. About two, two out of the 10, well, one out of 10 will kind of throw their vote away in terms of maybe they don't vote or uh, in that election or they, you know, they skip the ballot or They wrote somebody in. And then the other 1% are maybe pick a third party. And that's on the high end. They're splitting the vote between maybe three or four third parties or something like that. So you have a math problem of how do you break through that threshold? But here's the beautiful thing. If somebody goes to vote in a primary, okay, let's say you decide you're a libertarian and run as a Democrat. If somebody goes to vote in the Democrat primary, they can't just pull the D straight down the ticket. They have to make a decision. So you're campaigning, in our case, our work at the door of building name ID, of trying to resonate. It matters then so much more because the person at the booth has to make a choice. Same thing in the Republican primary. Why why did 37 of our 37 wins come in Republican races? Because we went in, and in the most, most of these cases, in Republican primaries, and we decided to pick three issues 
that we thought Republican primary voters would support. Maybe it was guns. Maybe it was cutting taxes, cutting rates. On a, on a race by race basis. Right, right. So it's, it's different everywhere. We always customize based on the race we're in. Mm-hmm. We're not one of those groups pushing a national message. Right. But the idea is they have to go in the voting booth and pick between a Republican. If you're a Republican, you walk in, you got to pick. Mark's main name might be on the ballot and Mitt Romney's name. Well, guess what? You can't just pick R because they both have an R. So you have to actually say, oh, crap. Do I want Mark or do I want Mitt? And if we did our job and we reach people and say, Mark's the guy, Mark's the guy. And we say, you know, Mark's part of the community. Mark supports the issues you care about. We message correctly. We can win. So I'm never going to say that, that, that parties, I think there are plenty of reasons to be involved with the LP. I think there are plenty of reasons to be involved with any party that you think in your area can advance the ideas. But to me, that is why we as an organization are finding more success in primaries because there's no straight ticket voting in primaries. People have to make a decision. Right, that makes sense. It seems like the libertarians, the LP candidates that do end up having the most success are usually ones that run in, in nonpartisan races. Uh, I'm sure you obviously, you know, Jeff Hewitt out here. I, I think, I believe you guys were helping him out as well. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I mean, that that's, I, I mean, I wish there were more nonpartisan races because it's, it's exactly as you said, when there's no, you know, no distinguishing RL or whatever next to it, then people have to at least go read one article or something about these people or be open to the people knocking on the door who are excited to tell them about that candidate. Mark, my favorite question is when people say, how do we get Libertarian Party members elected? Ask me point blank. I'll tell you, we need more people to be like Jeff Hewitt. Follow Jeff Hewitt's lead. The guy is a genius. Did Yao endorse him? No. But did Jeff Hewitt and Boomer Shannon call me and say, hey, teach us what the hell you're doing because it's working? And sure, outside of Yao time, I helped them set up a field program. They actually took my advice. Kudos to them. They knocked thousands of doors. They did the hard work with local volunteers and people that were excited about Jeff Hewitt because guess what? He stands for liberty. They figured out how to take that message and not talk about auditing the Federal Reserve, not talk about bringing the troops home. He's running for, you know, city council. Right. Um, I mean, or excuse me, uh, you know, the, the county council. Um so is that he was elected to the Orange County Board of Supervisors for those not familiar with uh, Jeff Hewitt. Uh, but he's actually his district he presides over is larger than any uh, elected libertarian candidate actually oversees. So that, that's so why it's such, total, it was such a huge victory. A total of two point five million constituents with five people on the board. So he represents five hundred thousand people, a libertarian. But once again, how did he do it? He understood the grassroots. He ran in a nonpartisan race. So people you're exact. I'm so glad you brought that up, Mark. People have to choose when they walk in the voting booth. The more we can force people to choose, that's how you break the two-party system. That's how you break the gridlock of kind of the partisan BS is by getting in races, either primaries or running as a candidate in a nonpartisan race where people have to make a decision. You're right. That's the only way to penetrate. Sounds like a strong argument to just not have political parties I'm <laughs> overall. All At least not at the voting booth, you know, organize however you want. But if we could just remove those letters, I mean, even the L, I I think that probably hurts a lot of candidates sometimes more than it helps. uh, Because then people say, what's a liberal? I don't know. Or whatever. Moving on, you know. So, I mean, uh, the the more I think we can focus, get people like you guys are doing to, in whatever way we can, focus on the people and their ideas and not whatever weird letter they're attached to, the better. I'm all about it. All about it. 
Cool, my man. Uh, one more question I had for you before we wrap up here. Uh, obviously, you've been working with the owl, doing this stuff for, for a good amount of time here. What are some of the biggest or maybe even just one of the biggest challenges that you face, uh, whether it's just organizationally speaking or even just that you know students find out they're facing uh, actually knocking on the door and trying to win people over to these ideas? Yeah, so I'll tell you, look, this whole plan of trying to take over 5% of the entire country, because 250 state house seats out of 5,000 is about 5% of the entire country. And so our goal is to do that by 2022. There are three things that we need, three, three things we have to accomplish. And we can't have one without the other two. That's candidates. We need liberty candidates at the state level. Door knockers, I'm building that with our youth army on campus. And then dollars in the door. We've got to be able to pay for the literature, pay for the software you know, pay to actually house the students. So those are the three things. I, if you ask me what my number one struggle is, look, in 2018, we did 76 races. I had the door knockers to do probably an additional 20 to 50 races. And I probably had the candidates to do an additional 20 races. So what's that mean is I didn't have the money. And I don't say that as like, hey, we're failing. I mean, y'all did $6 million in 2018. We're growing like crazy. Wow. People like results. And I'm, I love the free market for that. Because the organization has blossomed because people are seeing we're doing the hard work to win. But I think that uh, it's the toughest thing for us right now is fundraising. Um, in 2020, our budget's probably going to have to grow. We're probably going to have to do 150 races. So we're going to have between a 12 and $15 million budget. And even this year alone, I mean, we have a $6.1 million operating budget because we're trying to position ourselves for 2020. Um, so it's a tough go when it comes to fundraising, but I'm not going to take that as an excuse. Uh, I mean, I'm traveling about 280 days a year. I'm doing TV. I'm doing media like your show, uh, trying to make sure that every single person who believes in liberty or that's interested in liberty in the country is either knocking doors, helping us find candidates, or they're chipping in 25 bucks a month so we're able to get there. Well, that's uh, an excellent segue to letting you tell everyone out there exactly how they can contribute to Young Americans for Liberty if they've enjoyed the message that you put out there and, and uh, appreciate the mission you guys are doing. So fire away. Feel free to plug away on y'all, how people can contribute, and anything else you'd like to like to mention. Yeah, well, first I want to thank you, Mark. Uh, Absolutely. I think that, uh, there's a, a, such a need out there for people to talk about the issues and for people to have a platform to actually speak. So I, I mean that wholeheartedly. Thank you for doing what you're doing. If people want to get involved with YAL, uh, you can go to yaliberty.org. Uh, if you want to recommend a candidate, this is a big thing that we lean on the Liberty community for. If you have a state rep candidate, go to yaliberty.org slash door. And at that same link, yaliberty.org slash door, you can find our survey. Send that survey to a candidate. You can recommend the candidate legitimately just giving us their contact info. And of course, you can chip in or you can sign up to become a door knocker. Um, the door knocker positions are paid. We pay our activists. I'm all about having legitimate people. I don't want people just volunteering their time anymore. Libertarianism deserves better. We deserve to take care of our own. Um, so we pay 2000 a month. We put you up in free out housing. We give you gas money. And uh, it's an opportunity. And I'll tell you, a lot of the people that door knock for us, they end up becoming great campaign managers, deployment leaders. And some of them now have run for office um, and won. So it's, it's a really cool program. Um, I would argue it's one of the most effective, scalable, and tangible plans I've seen from the Liberty Movement. And uh, I can't do it without the help of the entire community. So yaliberty.org, recommend a candidate, sign up to door knock, ship in. We'd love the support. Mark, thanks for everything. 
Sure thing, Cliff. And, you know, this one thing I want to add, I think one of the best things about what you guys are doing, uh, even in cases where you don't win a race or your, your selected candidate doesn't get in, you have thousands of youth activists out there having conversations with people. And if there's one thing that libertarians need to get better at, it's having conversations with normal people that don't already agree with what they're going to say before they say it. Uh, so I think that experience alone is absolutely invaluable. And the fact that it can actually turn into some great electoral victories and uh, actual legislative changes, more the better. So thank you so much cliff keep up the great work keep on roaring thanks mark all right folks i hope you enjoyed my conversation with cliff maloney of young americans for liberty it's actually a guest that a lot of people have been recommending me to get on for a long time he's really been out there taking a lot of action and libertarians come from different angles when it comes to political action some people are opposed to it altogether and that's in many ways understandable and perfectly fine i happen to be on the team that believes that politics is downstream of culture and that really ultimately changing the culture is what will naturally change the political discourse and change the effects and the laws that are in place but at the same time i don't really decry political action from any shape and some might not like that y'all knocks on doors largely supporting republicans because those are the viable races where they can put a more liberty candidate, at least from their point of view, from their perspective, from their metrics, uh, in a better position to enact laws that are more libertarian, even on a small scale, especially on the small scale. But you know, no matter what your view of it is, mine really is basically that just sending people around that want to talk about these ideas and introducing those ideas to people by knocking on those doors. Every single knock can lead to a conversation, can lead to a conversation that can get someone thinking a little bit differently. So whether or not it actually leads to a more libertarian person in office or a uh, you know better legislation or what have you. I think that's a wonderful side effect, but I think the real value, the true value, is in these conversations. So regardless of your view on politics, I really do see a lot of value in the work that the fine folks at Yale are doing by sending people door-to-door, by getting activists in front of people, not just sending out mailers, not just randomly donating and endorsing candidates, actually getting out there, going door-to-door and talking about liberty issues. So uh, please do check out the work of Yale. We will link to everything in today's show notes, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 404. And uh, do check out the Pride because it's going to be fun between all the events we got going on at Porkfest, all the bonus content that's going to be coming from there, as well as our very special Democratic debate recap shows. We will be doing those right after the debates. People in the Pride will get to see them live as they happen. We'll also be releasing those uh, to the public eventually, probably on the regular feed because we kind of want these to get out there, want people to be able to hear them. They were a really big hit four years ago. If any of you happened to be tuning in back then, our audience was much smaller at the time, but uh, everyone did seem to love our Republican and Democratic debates recaps that we did uh, four years ago, and of course we'll be doing it all again, and in some ways it's good. There's only Democratic debates to deal with and eventually Libertarian Party debates, which we'll be looking at, of course, as well as we get closer to next year's convention, but it's going to be fun either way. It's going to be crazy. Uh, There's some interesting characters. Most of them have the same views that we will all uh, spend some time decrying after Afterwards, but it should be an entertaining watch nonetheless. And uh, the Lions of Liberty will be there for you, my friends. Whether you want to watch them along with us or whether you just want to not have to watch them and, and have us do it for you and provide uh, your brilliant libertarian, uh, perhaps somewhat tipsy insights, then be sure to check out the Lions of Liberty Pride. Again, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Just $2 a month will get you access to that Facebook group where you can see our live streams. And uh, $5 and above will get access to all of our audio content that we get coming out. 10 
$10, of course, is where the video content uh, kicks in as well. So again, please do check out our Patreon. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters and just our regular listeners because your downloads have kept us alive, have kept people wanting to work with us, wanting to come on the show and helped us to grow the pride, even if you aren't a member of it. So either way, I appreciate all of you out there, my friends. And until next time, live long and live free.